So if you are obsessed with the news like I have been these last few weeks, you might have reached the same conclusion that I have been reaching day in and day out, that there is a whole lot of cheating and lying going on in our world today. Politicians who simply won't tell the truth even when caught on camera doing exactly what they said they didn't do or held under oath. Entertainment executives who also will not tell the truth when confronted with the reality of their terrible, terrible and horrendous, and horrendous acts of sexual abuse. Athletes, the Houston Astros most recently, who were caught in a NSA, CIA level scheme to steal baseball signs and give their players unfair advantage, causing them to win a World Series. And perhaps the Boston Red Sox did the same thing and they won a World Series from that. Olympic athletes who enlist state agencies or vice versa to skirt the rules against performance-enhancing drugs. Parents who pay tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars so their children could cheat on entrance exams or fake grades and activities so that their children could get into top-level universities. And we can add to that fake news, tax avoidance by multinational corporations, cyber espionage, and the kind of everyday cheating and lying between people that seems endemic in our society. It is exhausting. It's soul-crushing. And it is so completely unsurprising in the year 2020. So much so that I point out to my kids when we're watching one of these news stories on TV, when somebody actually tells the truth without being compelled to do so, as opposed to when somebody lies and is caught by doing it. And this is obviously a Jewish issue. Sarah Hurwitz, whose still remarkable book that I mentioned last week, and I hope to finish later this Shabbos, if I get some time to read, um, here all along, and I really do recommend this wonderful book, observed that while the Torah may not be a history of a people, it is a history of morality. Our core narrative is not about getting from one physical place to another, Egypt to the Promised Land, as is introduced in this week's Parsha. Our story is about is, can be found in the first words of Torah. When God creates the world and makes order out of chaos, tohu vavohu. Judaism is, as I think, first and foremost, a moral ethic. Its rituals are designed to reinforce that ethic. Its texts and its prayers are designed to challenge and to grapple with that ethic. Even our view of life and the afterlife are about living not a life of faith, but a life of goodness and godliness. It's not about what you think in Judaism. It's not about what you believe. We're judged on what we do. The measure of a good life is good acts and good deeds. I've shared before that the Talmud teaches this in one of the questions that it raises about what happens after you die. The Talmud teaches that the very first question you're asked when you die is not did you keep kosher, not did you attend synagogue, not did you light Shabbos candles, not even did you give tzedakah. The very first question you're asked when you die is, were you honest in business? Because to be honest in business is to have integrity, is to be in a position of power where you can deceive and take advantage of another who is none the wiser and to not to do that thing. But to be more specific, what's the issue with lying and cheating in Judaism? First, of course, Judaism condemns lying. One need only look to the ninth commandment against bearing false witness. 
or the seventh commandment about adultery to see in very concrete terms, that was a pun, Ten Commandments written in stone, concrete terms, <laughs> that Judaism forbids such behavior. But our tradition recognizes that lying and cheating involves more than breaking the rules. A Hebrew phrase that's used in the Talmud to indicate cheating is genivat da'at, which literally means the theft of mind. Or in other words, cheaters who intentionally mislead or deceive others to gain undeserved goodwill or advantage are considered thieves. Talmud records, there are seven kinds of people who are guilty of stealing, our sages teach. And first among them are people who misrepresent themselves to others. The Eighth Commandment, right in the middle of the commandment not to cheat and not to lie, declares lo tignov, not to steal. The greatest sin in this category is genivat da'at, intentionally deceiving another person. Genivat da'at goes beyond lying. Any words or actions that cause others to form an incorrect conclusion about one's motives are a violation of this prohibition. And the Torah explicitly states Distance yourself from false matter. The sages believe that there are seven types of thieves, and of these, the most egregious is the one who steals the mind of people, the one who cheats or lies. The Talmud gives the following example. A storekeeper is not permitted to sprinkle his store with wine or oil because he steals the minds of people. The problem with sprinkling one's store with a superior quality or fragrant wine is that it may fool customers into believing that all the wine sold in the store is of the same high quality. And people tend to rely on their sense of smell when purchasing products such as wine or oil. But sports in this instance actually serves as even a better example of the moral world that Judaism envisions. Not that Jews were ever envisioned to be great athletes. In fact, just the opposite. The rabbis of the Talmudic period rejected Hellenistic and Roman focus on sports and athleticism. And my mom said I couldn't be a professional athlete. I had to go to Hebrew school. Anyhow, just my issues. Um, but sports offered a world where a higher standard applied, where everyone plays by the same rules and is held accountable for breaking those rules and strives to be the very best at what they do. Under a sportsmanship model, healthy competition is seen as a means of cultivating personal honor, of virtue, and character. It contributes to a community of respect and trust between competitors in society. The goal in sportsmanship is not simply to win, but to pursue victory with honor by giving one's best effort. And this is inseparable from the Jewish ethic on how one lives a moral life. In Judaism, of course, life is not a game, it's deadly serious, more like the Olympic-level competition, where the athlete, or in this case, simply the moral human being, is constantly examining their actions, cheshbon hanefesh, examining their soul, sharpening their tools and their approach, trying to always be a better version of themselves. In sports, the goal is to win the game. In Judaism, the goal is to win life. To receive the greatest reward of all, to receive the gold medal, in Judaism, is to be remembered for a blessing, to be a mensch. Jewish ethics are grounded in the holiness code. Kiddushim Tihiyu, we read, you shall be holy. We should be an orla goyim, a light unto the nations. 
The purpose of mitzvot like Ginevat Dot is to inculcate character traits that make people virtuous, a task that secular ethical systems gave up on long ago and seem to be clearly failing in our society today. Alan Middleman is a professor of Jewish thought at the Jewish Theological Seminary, and he calls this a perfectionist ethic. And he concedes that it is austere and demanding and uncompromising. But nonetheless, he believes, and I do, and I think our tradition does, and they all agree that such an ethic, quoting, opens up new possibilities for what a flourishing, well-lived life entails. Never being satisfied with our own behavior gives us a purpose for how we greet tomorrow. That's not a curse. That's a blessing. So how do we live as good, moral, and ethical Jews? We remain unabashedly unsatisfied with our character at every moment, placing ourselves on a path to perpetual improvement. Abraham Jeshua Heschel called Jews the eternally dissatisfied people. And a good Jew says, I can do better. I can be better. And we study and we pray and we practice and we reflect just like athletes, just like they warm up and they study and they practice and they practice and practice again at that every single day. At home and when we walk upon the way, when we lie down and when we rise up, always trying to get it better in the next opportunity. And so I watch the news, like many of you, and I find it hard to turn away. It's kind of a dumpster fire. And I learn for and I pray for a world that maybe never, ever existed. A world of that messianic age that we talk about in Judaism where among the many remarkable and sacred and holy things are that people are honest with each other, that they tell the truth. They don't cheat, lie, or steal, or take advantage of those who can be taken advantage of so easily. Growing up as a child, as a sports fan, I thought that that was sports. And then as you get older and you start to realize the business behind sports and the money now that is so involved, you realize it doesn't exist there either. But you can get a glimpse of it in sports, a little bit, at the younger and younger levels. When I lived in Los Angeles, we lived next to the Little League field. And being a San Francisco Giants fan, I wouldn't go to a Dodger game to save my life anyways. But I'd go to the Little League field with my kids, and there you could watch the purest form of sport for its intention and sport, but even youth sports are getting encumbered by cheating and falsehood. And so where does that exist in the world? It exists here. It exists in this sanctuary in shul, in this community, in this mikdash, this container of holiness. And it exists in our homes, which Talmud calls mikdash me'at, the sanctuary in miniature. As they say in the Broadway show tune, if we can make it here, in this synagogue, in this sanctuary, then we can make it anywhere. And well, that's perhaps the best news I've heard in a long time. Ken Hiratso, may it be God's will. Amen. Our service continues, page 586, will rise for a laning. Thanks. <laughs>